Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast. It is Friday, June 4th, and for what I believe the second time, maybe third time in the history of this podcast, a promise is being kept. We said something, we're actually making it happen. Uh, yesterday on the podcast, I said we're going to have two episodes in two days because we dropped the ball so horrifically in May, and here we are. We're finally making it happen. have been trying to, uh, to get Keith together for some football talk here for a while. It's finally here. It's finally happening. Keith Wynn back on the podcast. Keith, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I feel like it feels like it's uh, been a good while since I've uh, been on, but you know, it's nice that we could uh, actually get together and try to get this done one day. I know. We we were talking uh, before we started recording. I mentioned on the last podcast the Rutherford clan is going from uh, three to four coming up here in October. The Wynn family is going from four to five, which my brain can't even process uh you guys are are going to be expanding a little bit earlier than we are i think it's late august uh how's everything going how are the preparations there has your mind wrapped around the fact that you are about to be the father of of three not really i was <clears throat> I had a conversation at work and i was talking about this and i was like you know having two small children is something that you know i don't think i've really totally comprehended yet because i'm used to having you know, my oldest, who's who's seven years older than my than my other, you know, I'm, I'm so used to that spread and having that help. It's going to be a lot different with two very small children that are very needy. And yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of, I'm not going to, I'm going to cross that bridge when I get to it. I mean, like, I don't, you're right. You have, like, Olivia's older, so that helps a little bit. The two young ones is terrifying right now because yeah. one for me, Virginia doesn't sleep, like, like does not sleep. She goes to bed at a reasonable hour. It's pretty consistent there, but wakes up like 50 times in the middle of the night. And because, you know, Mary's pregnant, I'm the one who's getting up and going in there constantly. And like when when I'm sitting in there rocking and trying not to blow my brains out from 2 to 4 a.m. every every (laughs) night, I'm thinking, like, how in the world are we going to do this with a newborn baby who's waking up every, you know, two hours wanting to eat? I don't I I mean, I'm just. As difficult as it is to have a one-year-old in the house right now, like I'm treating this like a vacation because I know when the shit hits the fan, it's gonna be terrible, and we're both gonna be doing it like right in the middle of football season. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's you know it's like last time around, I was writing previews in the in the uh, delivery room, like waiting for you know my my wife went through 28 hours of uh, of labor, so you know I was sitting there and I was like, well, I guess I'll bring my laptop so I can write you know some preseason stuff, and you know it's like you know, but then. You know, during the season, yeah, you're, like, trying to keep a routine so you can keep up with, like, the writing schedule and, and, you know, work and all that. And then the whole time you're sleep-deprived and, you know, you're trying to keep it normal and trying to, you know, make sure you're there to support your wife. And, yeah, it becomes a little hectic, you know. But at least I I had a little bit of a buffer. You did (laughs) right game one and just, yeah, I couldn't imagine. What Basically what we're trying to say, we're laying a safety net out for the amount of errors that are going to be on the site this fall <laughs> that are just going to be like even more than usual. I mean, you know, we're definitely not pristine usually, but the amount of like horrific grammar errors and just nonsensical things that are going to be published on the site this fall, it'll be entertaining uh, to say the least. So yeah. look, look forward to all that good stuff. Uh, let's talk about football. We've been talking about hoops and, and other nonsense way too much on this podcast. Football is about three months away and I guess before we get into like nuts and bolts stuff and, and some of the recent news happenings, let's just talk like like grand scheme stuff because I, I feel like this has been one of the oddest 
Louisville football off seasons from a fan standpoint that I can ever remember. And not just because, you know, pandemic and coming off the, the weird season and all that stuff. But I just feel like nobody really knows how to feel going into year three. And it's the first time in this modern era of Cardinal football where I feel like that's been the case. You know, year three for both iterations of Petrino, things were pretty positive and expectations were high. Charlie Strong, same thing. He had two successful seasons. Teddy was already a star. Everybody was excited about that year. They go to the Sugar Bowl. Cragthorpe, opposite. Like, everybody kind of knows he's dead man walking going into year three. Satterfield now, like, where are we? I, I think that's the big question is, you know, what do we think about this guy? And there's obviously some stuff that's relevant because of the, the South Carolina situation from December. I think that plays a part in it. But just overall wins and losses, people are kind of – they're wanting to be sold on something – with this football program. And when you look at it, what do you think the the biggest thing that Satterfield and company are, are selling right now? What makes you really excited about the football season that's going to kick off here in about three months? I think for me personally, I think that, you know, I kind of get, of course, I dig deeper in the film and stats and all that. And I think that the offense, the offensive system has been better than I expected coming in. And I think that it's a system that can continue to create good things even though they lost you know their three big stars on the offense um i think that we saw some flashes for some of the young guys last year uh, you know Jalen mitchell obviously had a great finish this season you still have guys like hassan hall that could obviously you know create the running game uh and then the offensive line obviously should be should be better you know they got they've got depth now they got options so you kind of have the base of the offense but of course you have the question of of who's going to replace Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick, who's going to, you know, can Malik Cunningham be the guy that he was two years ago? But I think that's where they're so, the selling point is always offense because you have an offensive coach. Louisville fans are offensive-minded. That's, you know, I think we've learned that over the years that the fans really love a big-time offense that can score points. But <clears throat> I think one of the other things that, you know, I've been kind of happy to see Scott Satterfield even kind of, kind of talk up is that the defense should be really improved. And I think that's where there's the potential for the, for the team to improve and improve on the win and loss is that they have a better defense. They shouldn't be giving up the, the ridiculous plays or giving up these huge scores that, that they have over the last two years. And I think that right now, the biggest issue they have is that they have the self-inflicted issues that Scott Satterfield brought upon his own program. And there is no way to fix that without winning games. I mean, I, you know, I, I've kind of gotten to the point that I've, I've bought into the idea that he wants to be here. I've kind of gone back and forth on that. Uh, you know, I've kind of just taught myself in the idea that, hey, he's, he's doing all the things you need to do to improve this program, especially when you look at the, the hires on a recruiting standpoint and even the, even the coaching hires that I think that he's done a pretty good job with. So I think that, you know, from my standpoint, I'm buying in that he wants to be here, but no, nothing changes until he wins games. You know, and, and I think that it's all because of the fact that that South Carolina thing, it, it was just a it was a really, really poor decision. Uh, I think it was a poorly played, um, poorly executed play, getting a better contract. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, when he when he if and when he does win games, the fans will come back and start to you know really support. And I think that he might get that contract that he wants. So. You know, but that's that's three, four months away from right now. See, I'm such like a, I don't know if cynical is the right word, but maybe just a 
beaten down or maybe just an experienced Louisville football fan that, like, I don't give a fuck if he wants to be here. When I hear him say all these things, like, when I hear him go on the radio or do these press conferences and talk about, you know, my kid's going to L now and we're, we're breaking ground on our new house here in the city and this is where I want to be, I'm like, cool, man, win some fucking games. Yeah. Like, that, like, that's kind of all I care about. And that's sort of where I think maybe I got so jaded when – Charlie left because if anybody had a reason to be a lifer to be the football Denny Crum you felt like it was going to be Charlie Strong and when he left I kind of have resigned myself to the belief that Louisville football should aspire to have a guy who just kills it here for a certain amount of years and if he wants to go after that to quote-unquote greener pastures so be it hire a guy that can keep that ball rolling and that's kind of where I am until it actually happens until we actually have somebody come here have success and stick around for 10, 15 years or however long, uh, you know, you, you feel like a quote unquote lifer is these days. Like, I'm just not going to believe that it's going to happen. And so if Scott Satterfield wants to leave in a couple of years, cool. I, I hope you have enough success to make that happen. And then I hope that our program is in a much better state than it was when you arrived. But you, you said the, the, the magic words, I think, a bunch of times there win some games like, like that's what's that's the only way to fix the damage that was caused last winter and it starts on labor day night and i don't know how how you feel about this and this is sort of a, a summer radio ish topic but i feel like if this isn't the most important louisville football season opener it's close because you have lost a little bit of the fan base and the guys who are kind of who used to spend all summer talking about how excited they are and, and getting ready for tailgates. I feel like the only way to get them back is to win that first game. I, I think then you'll see that that same excitement. If you beat Ole Miss on Labor Day night, national TV, and the team looks good and Lane Kiffin cries, like that, like you're gonna have that excitement, that that juice that we used to have uh, this time of year in, in the summer months. And like I, I'm trying to think of a, a season opener that has meant more to the, the program, both in terms of the current state and where it's going. And I'm not, I mean, maybe Miami 2014 with Pacino coming back and starting the ACC. But, man, this is, in terms of season openers, this is about as big as it gets for Louisville football, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, the more the more I look at the schedule and I kind of, you know, I think there's a real opportunity for them to hit 500 pretty easily. But I don't think that's really going to get the juice back. I think starting off strong and having a big win like that especially the way the schedule lays out because you're, you're starting, you, you beat Ole Miss, you're starting 2-0 going into two very unpredictable games with Central Florida and Florida State. And starting off the season strong is important because if you, if you don't, then you're going into those two games that really kind of factor in how this season is going to go with fans still not knowing what to, what, what, what this team is all about, especially and some of that's dependent on how they play against Ole Miss. You know, you get into a shootout and lose in a close game. Maybe fans feel a little bit different. But, sure, sure. you know, I think that really when it comes down to it, you you have to – Louisville's in a position right now where you're coming off such a disappointing season, such a frustrating season from a fan standpoint, watching this team, you know, blow games over and over and over again that they should have won, that now if you're if you start the season and it seems like you're in for the same thing again – Fans are, you know, you're going to have a hard, much harder time getting fans to buy back in because the schedule's not not just a cakewalk. You know, I don't think this is a 10-win, you know, schedule unless something, you know, really goes well. So, you you know, if you start off slow, 
and then you get into the thick of the schedule and you maybe, you know, say you split those two games between Central Florida and, and Florida State, you're getting in the meat of your schedule at 500 and, you know, you're still in the same spot. You know, it's all about winning games and no one wants a 500 team. So if you in, if you're if you're going through the season that way and you never get to that point where you have that, hey, man, this team has a chance to get to nine wins, 10 wins or you get that feeling, then fans aren't going to completely buy in because they're still jaded. I mean, you know, I, I really do think that, there, that that there's he Scott Satterfield and the program in general has to overcome an unforced error. Last season, I think fans would have given kind of a pass to, you know, you have covid. You have the way they lost, and as frustrating as it was, it's at least explainable. But then you have them flirting with a job, and now you just, you you know, you're in a position where there are a lot of casual fans who are like, hey, just another coach who's going to leave. And and a lot of diehard fans that are just like you said, I don't really care, win some games, you know. And, and so when it comes down to it, you know, if you don't start the season off well, or at least show that you have a competent team that can go into the ACC schedule and, you know, be competitive to finish towards the top, then, you know, you're just you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot again. I think part of the like the discontent that the fan base has over what happened in December is the feeling. And I think it's a justified feeling because I think it's actually absolutely what transpired that. You lost some staff members because of what happened and like Satterfield was able to retain pretty much his entire staff after the after year one, he was able to bring a lot of guys from App State before he even got started in 2019. And then I think, I don't mind to say it, I think because of what happened in December, he lost some key guys, most notably Dwayne Ledford in the offseason, and was forced to to do some shaking up, was forced to bring in some new guys. How do you think, because we haven't had a chance to talk about this since the moves that were made in the early winter and early spring, how good of a job do you think Satterfield's done in filling out this staff and getting ready for, you know, moving forward with life without some of the guys who chose to to head elsewhere? You know, I'd, I'd say he did a solid job. Um, you know, and, and to back to your point about, you know, being able to retain, retain guys. I mean, I've been one of the big things when Satterfield got here is the first thing that popped in my head when he brought the guys in, he did. And hearing the stories of how he connected with some of the coaches that he didn't know, I was like, man, this guy's going to be able to retain guys. And I think that's such a huge factor in building a program. I think, I think that's what made Charlie Strong successful at Louisville. Maybe not so much with the other places that he, that he stopped at because he, re, he retained coaches here. And you can build a program when you have those coaches. You, you can build recruiting. You can build trust with your players. And I think that's so important. And this is a huge part of the unforced error, you know, that we talked about is that, you know, Scott Satterfield lost some guys that are key to what he does. And not only do you lose those guys, you lose all the things you get from having, from retaining staff. When you go out and get other guys, you've got to, you know, now there's, there's a lot of unknown. Uh, I think that Pete Thomas uh, is a great, great hire, great, you know, uh, uh, promotion uh, for the quarterback coach, I think that he's going to do well. I think that he's, you know, one of those young up-and-coming guys, and he's got a lot of experience from being a player the best round and then some coaching ties, you know, from down in App State. I think that he's going to be really really good. Not really too upset about that one. Uh, the other two coaches, uh, coaching hires, uh, or the other three, um, you have Bicknell as the offensive line coach. He's got a lot of experience, but I'm not sure how much from a standpoint of, coaching this outside outside zone scheme that they're running um 
Rail Sims at at, at, uh, at running back coach. Seems like a you know a pretty good hire. Not the recruiter that you really want as a running back coach, at least from a historical standpoint. Uh, your running back coach should be a should be a high level recruiter. That's kind of just you know a position that's a little bit easier to coach, but you want somebody who can get on the road and get you some guys. Uh, but I think get Greg Gasparato at, at safeties uh, knows the system really well. You know, was at App State, uh, really highly regarded coach um, from his time there and and at Army last year. Uh, and the players seem to really respond well to, to Gasparato. So I think it's solid, but, you know, I, I think that the coaching staff they had uh, was really good. And I think they were starting to gel. And I think having those guys being retained would have been much more, uh, much better for this program. But, you know, from, from, from what they got to replace those guys, the best word I can use for it is just solid at this point. And we'll have to see, especially from a recruiting standpoint, how those guys can can mix in with the team and, and be able to bring guys in. The more you talk about it, the more like I, I remember how upset I got about about the Satterfield stuff in December because like it's just the last thing that we needed as as not just football fans but overall fans of the athletic program. I mean, it really is. I, I think I've made this analogy before, but it's like the class eighth grade class trip to DC when you know that some kids are going to do some shitty stuff, but like you catch the the 4.0 nerd valedictorian smoking weed in his hotel room. And you're like, God damn it, Jimmy. Like, like <laughs> you're, the, you're the one guy we thought we could count on here. Like just, just all you have to do is not fuck up for a little bit and we're going to be okay. And, and instead yeah. here we are talking about all this stuff, by the way, we were talking about the beginning of the schedule and the like weeks three and four being unpredictable with UCF and Florida state. Is there a transfer that UCF hasn't gotten? Cause every time I look up, it's unbelievable <laughs> the amount of guys that they're adding right now. I have no idea uh, how confident or how not confident to feel about that game. It's really funny because uh, the whole thing, the whole gripe uh, with the people that hate the transfer report or whatnot is that the non power five schools are going to be, rated and whatnot and then when you really look at it those schools are just loading up on talent i mean yeah. if you're a good if you're a good g5 team you can get get the talent and, and a lot of kids who just either want to be closer to home or want to go to a place where they know that they're going to be able to walk in the door and be a starter as opposed to you know i mean they got a kid from notre dame who was like the number two or number three receiver in the country last year we got to Notre Dame and just, you know, Notre Dame's receivers. No one seems to know why, but they lose receivers every year. I mean, kids go there and, and, and their system just doesn't fit for whatever reason. Well, this kid probably was like, you know what? I can go somewhere else and maybe play or I can go to Central Florida and definitely play. And so that's that's I mean, that's the other that's the other flip side of this, I guess, is that, you know, as much as people feel like these guys are going to do well, at a smaller school and then want to go up, it's really in my opinion at least just as beneficial the other way around with these schools getting really talented kids who just want to go and be able to know they're going to play so yeah they've, they've got some real talent and you know of course of course Florida State got UCF's former quarterback so they fixed or should be fixing one of their biggest issues so yeah it's definitely that those two games are definitely different than they looked on the schedule when they first came out. Well, speaking of transfers, you had a really informative post on Card Chronicle this week about the uh, the newcomers that are going to play potentially a, a big role in this 2021 team. In Louisville, uh, UCF's getting high-profile transfers from power conference programs. Louisville's kind of done the opposite thing. 
uh, where they've gone to to you know FCS level or lower level FBS to get guys. Uh, Keechel Clark worked out really well last year. He's supposed to be a star this year. And we're talking about now bringing in guys you know from lower level programs like Liberty, like Georgia Southern, like Nebraska, uh, you know programs that are a clear <laughs> tier <laughs> or four below us. Uh, I had to get the shot in. Uh, it's all good. I but Kendrick Duncan's got a, a lot of publicity this offseason. But if, when you're looking at the other guys, guys like Jacques Turner, guys like uh, the, one of the new ones, Quinterial Cole, um, and then Luke McCaffrey, the quarterback from Nebraska that we're discussing. I mean, how, how excited should we be about these guys? Was was Clark last year kind of, uh, I don't know, an outlier? Should we not expect that much production from some of these guys? Or, or is it kind of a, a mixed bag? I think it's a mixed bag. That's that's probably the best way to, to describe it. I think you you know, Trey Clark is obviously. I I think he's you could make an argument he's the best player on the team right now. So being able to get a transfer in from a school like Liberty, an underrated high school guy that can come in and he's, you know, ta- not even just from a talent standpoint, from a production standpoint, right? That's that's the big thing is being able to bring guys in that are going to really make an impact on your team is all that matters. Whether or not they're NFL level players or not, you know, who cares? Because Louisville's in a position where when you bring players in, you need them to be able to be impact guys for you. You know, you can't, you know, you can't, you don't have the talent depth to be able to say, well, we're good here. The guys we're bringing in are just going to help us out. So when you bring in these guys, they got to be able to step in and, and, and do something for you if you're bringing them in for a position of need. So you have Kendrick Duncan, who was going to start. I mean, when he, when he transferred in, it wasn't even a question, even though, you know, Louisville's bringing back or, you know, talented guys that are young. They've got talented guys coming in from a recruiting standpoint. You don't have any veteran presence in the, in the safety position. So, you know, you know, a guy like that's going to come in and you know he's going to make a positive impact from based off the fact that he's already done that at a fairly high level. I mean, you know, these guys aren't all power five, you know, players, but like we saw with Trey Clark, when you have guys that have gone out and played at the, the division one level, and played well, you can trust that they're going to be able to come in and be an impact guy for you. That, hey, I know I can trust that I've got this position settled now. And I think you you have that in Kendrick Duncan. I think you have that in Brian Hudson. Obviously not the glamorous position as an offensive lineman, but he's a guy that if even if he doesn't start, he is an impact guy because you, he's your sixth guy. And he can play three different positions. So that is that's the type of impact you need when you bring these guys in. So you have two guys there for sure. I think Quinterio Cole is a guy that they're they're bringing in from Alcorn State that I thought played really well um, for Steam the last couple of years. There's a couple of questions on you know some of his aggression. You know he misses some tackles here and there, but this is a guy that can play that strong safety position that we've seen Russ Yeast play, where you have to play man coverage against slot receivers and tight ends as well as playing in zone coverage. And he knows how to do that. And he's done that for multiple years, playing cornerback and playing safety. You know, part of the part of the post, I, I, I clipped a play where he is going up against a slot receiver, plays it perfectly well, gets in the guy's corner hip, and ends up making an interception. And those are the, I mean, when you see those things on film, those are the things that translate no matter what level you're playing. That's just experience, talent, technique. And if you can get a guy that can come in and you know that he can make those types of plays, and that's that's the impact. So, you know, you, you take the good with the bad with some of these things because some of these guys aren't completely polished players. 
Um, but that's where obviously getting these guys in, coaching them up, there's still that aspect there. So, you know, are we going to see four or five guys that come in and make the impact that Trey Clark did? No, but I think that Kendron Duncan is going to be that kind of guy. Uh, I think Brian Hudson is, and I think the rest of those guys have the opportunity. Uh, and then, you know, you have some things that are kind of wild card. Shy, Shy Words is a super talented athlete, and he's switching positions, so there's a question there. Uh, but getting a guy that you can get the ball to, get the ball in his hands, and he can work in the open field, you don't pass up on guys like that. So they got some good guys. They got some guys like McCaffrey, who's a who's a, has some question marks. But I think overall so far, uh, I think everybody should be pretty pleased with how how well they've done the transfer portal. And to be fair to Quinterio Cole, like being overly aggressive and not being a great tackler is, is sort of a prerequisite for playing <laughs> in the Louisville secondary in, in the post-Jair Alexander era. Uh, but that's where we are. You mentioned McCaffrey really there at the end. And I think this is a guy that Louisville fans have a lot of interest in just because, I mean, famous last name, famous brother, came from Nebraska. He did you know, play there, even though his numbers weren't great last year and he was never the full-time starter. It's interesting because it feels like you at least have a little bit of pressure for Malik Cunningham this year because the, there's a guy back there who can – do some of the same stuff that you can do with your feet. Uh, we'll see if he can improve as a passer. But it just as good as Evan Conley was at times during his freshman season, I think last year sort of reinforced the belief that he's probably not a high-level backup or, or shouldn't be a Power 5 conference starter. McCaffrey at least has the pedigree to be that guy. I mean, what do you think we see from Luke McCaffrey this year? Is he a guy that they use in spots? Is he a guy that they only use if, uh, if Malik – is playing poorly, or, I mean, he has a tendency to get banged up and, and miss a couple of plays. It seems to have been a pretty common thing. How much do you think we see of Luke McCaffrey this year? Is that impossible to know at this point? I think you at least see him from a standpoint of some gadget trick play kind of situations where you maybe get him on the field with Malik. Um, you know, I think Scott Satterfield's always had those types of plays in his playbook where you want to add some wrinkles and add some, add some trickeration and all that stuff like that. His athleticism is is really the highlight of his game. So being able to utilize him in, in ways where you get him, you know, with the ball in his hands and maybe getting him running, uh, get him out there as a, you know, even as a receiving option is something I think they're going to, they have to at least consider. Um, but I think it's a quarter from a quarterback standpoint, yeah, you know, I, I think that he's better than what he what his numbers show. I mean, I watched his games, and you know, Nebraska's offense is just awful. There's just everything about it's awful. So you're you're not really gonna have um, the good numbers. And Adrian Martinez, who was their starter, who's a veteran player there, and you know, has really regressed since uh, Scott Frost has taken over. At least in my opinion, uh, I think he's a prime example of why you can't really trust the numbers with, with Nebraska's scheme. Because I think they put their quarterbacks in bad positions. I mean, I watched the Penn State game from last year, and they got out to a big lead, and they just it's, they just turned the offense off. You know, nothing was over. You know, every pass was at the line of scrimmage. Nothing passed five yards out of the field. And you've got guys like Wondell Robinson, who's, you know, a, a very good player out there and is, you know, now playing for UK, who I think that's a pretty good example of how bad their offense was. He couldn't wait to get out of that place. Because they just didn't do anything well. So I don't think there's, even from a film standpoint, there's still not a whole lot to know about Luke McCaffrey. I think that there's a potential that he can come in and really wow the coaches 
and show that he can do better than what we saw in Nebraska. So there's a potential for for putting pressure on Malik, but I think that you know, I, you know, I, I think that Evan Conley, even to me, is at least an option to put some pressure on Malik if he's not playing well. I think that this there's a this is a different situation than last year, in my opinion. From there's a little bit more pressure on Malik to do do get things done from a coaching standpoint, right? You can't just accept that he's going to be that loose cannon at, at, at points where he was, where he's turning the ball over left and right. Because just because he's giving you all the positives, because that's why they kept him in the games last year, is that the guy, when he was on, he was very, very good. But when you're losing games for your team, at some point you got to make some kind of decision. And also you have to start looking towards the future because Malik's not going to be here next year. I, I just don't see that happening. So at some point they're going to have to, if, if, if Malik's playing down, like he did at times last year, someone's going to take that opportunity from him, I think. And I'm not sure if it's Luke or Evan, Evan Conley, but I would, I would lean towards Evan Conley having the edge partially because of the off the field, the, the leadership, the, the, those types of things that he's kind of put in the time and effort. And you can tell that the program has shown their appreciation for that. He's a guy that's kind of really big in the, the uh, L sports community and whatnot. So I think that that type of stuff, factors in to him still having an edge over Luke McCaffrey unless McCaffrey comes in and kills him. And the hair, you know, it's, 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 <laughs> the hair's good. That's the big thing, too. Also, props to Luke McCaffrey for getting out there because the more names you mentioned for Nebraska, the more I realize, like, has there been a player for Nebraska in the last 15 years who hasn't regressed? Like, every – it feels like they've got a promising freshman quarterback or a freshman running back or freshman something who, you know, is, is plays a key role on a decent – eight and four team or like seven and five team that's going to be really good in a few years. And then two years later, like whatever happened to that guy? And you look up his stats and you're like, holy shit, he's thrown 11 interceptions in three games. Like what's going on? That's a Nebraska football in a nutshell. Um, in, I guess, sadder news. I'm a big Lovey Jenkins guy. I know you're a big Lovey Jenkins guy. Um, he, there was news, I guess a couple months ago about an off season arrest. We hadn't heard anything else from him um, since that news broke. We find out yesterday, I think it was last night, that he has entered the the transfer portal. He put out a, a message on his social media. It certainly sounds like kind of a, a mutual parting of ways. I mean, how bummed are you that we're not going to see this guy develop here? Because he had, you know, glimpses of brilliance last year when he was getting uh, some snaps as a, as a true freshman. Yeah, I think that, you know, from a strictly loving, lovey jigging standpoint, I think he had a potential to be a star. Um, you know, I think that getting in here early last year, I think it was obvious really quick that he was uh, going to be a guy that they could depend on to kind of to reach his potential, which, you know, coming in as a four-star talent, you know, that's that's obviously what you really you really want guys to be able to reach that level where at least you're getting a consistent high-level starter for multiple years. And I, I, I felt for sure that he was going to actually hold on to a starting spot this year, um, even with Quinterio Cole coming in. And so, obviously, from his you know specific standpoint, I, I'm I, I was really excited to see how he played this year. Uh, I think that you know it's a real loss from a from a talent standpoint. It's a it's a loss from like I said, a guy that we I felt that was going to reach that potential and be able to hold down that position for for years to come. Um, but I think from a program standpoint, you know, it kind of it kind of highlights exactly how big of a deal it is for Louisville to hit on their top talent. 
Uh, when you get a guy like a Lovey Jenkins who, you know, like I said, they beat out Tennessee, they beat out some big programs for him. He came in and immediately it was obvious that he was going to be that the, the level of player they want. That That's so important to Louisville as a program. Being a team that's recruiting outside the top 10 to 12 teams in the country, I mean, you have to hit on guys. When you when you get those guys that you feel good about, they have to actually come come through for you. And that's one of the big things with Scott Satterfield's program in general right now is that they're not going to be a top 10 recruiting team. I mean, and I know people like to use top 25. The top 25 doesn't matter when it comes to recruiting. Unless you're in the top 10 to 12 teams, you're, it's all about scouting out the right players, finding those guys that on the lower level that you feel can contribute. And then I, I call it batting for average. You have to hit on a high average. And Louisville didn't hit on a high average during the Petrino years. They hit a handful of monster home runs and, you know, batted around 200. You know, there are a lot of guys that never even never even made it to campus or never made it past their first year or just never even made it on the field or at least didn't make it on the field until maybe their you know, senior year. You, you have to get guys that are like a Lovey Jenkins. When you get them in, hey, one year as a red shirt, and, you know, then you can get them out on the field and actually contribute. And then at some point they become your starter that you know you can depend on. And that's where that, that's where it's a big loss from a program standpoint, because that's where they've, they've, they've got to make sure those guys pan out. And they've done pretty well. So it's, it's not that, you know, they're they're starting off poorly, but losing a guy that you know you can depend on is just such a big loss for a team like Louisville. And it's not just Louisville. There's plenty of programs in that situation. Uh, but that's how you get from being a potential six and seven, eight win team that consistently being that nine plus win team is making sure you're hitting for a high average and then keeping these guys and letting them develop into your program. And so uh, that's where I think from a program standpoint, it's such a big loss. Have we finally reached the point where when people say things like you just said about recruiting rankings and, you know, being outside the top 25, that Louisville fans are stop are, are going to stop bringing up Eric Wood? Because I feel like that's the, you know, it's the response every single time. It's like, well, you know, Eric Wood was only a two-star, came here and <laughs> became a starter, and then was a pro bowler. Like, I feel like it's going to be one of those things that people are still talking about 20 years from now, and kids are going to be like, you know, who is Eric Wood? What, what, are, what are you talking about? It's like when our parents talk about, like, Rodney McRae and stuff still from, you know, 45 years ago. It's just... It does. It's not really. It's an outlier. It's, it's not. It's, it's not a sustainable recruiting philosophy to find 25 Eric Woods every year. It's. It's just not going to happen. But yeah, it's that's amazing. Yeah, um, it, 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 it's one of those things for me that I, I. I think I've even reached the point that I'm like, man, I don't even remember when Eric Wood was playing. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like it's. It's like I've been watching these games closely for years. I'm like, man, I've got. To, I've got to now research like who, who, who are all the quarterbacks? Okay. I got to put all that together because that all becomes like messed together as one time period, you know, like a seven year period there. And I'm like, I don't even remember exactly who was on those teams, man. Like it's just, yeah, it's, it's a long time ago. If you could win, pick one of the 12 games on this year's schedule and say, this is a guaranteed win any team. Which, which game are you picking? I mean, you know, East, Eastern Kentucky is a guarantee, but I think, you know, when it comes to really, like, looking at the schedule, I think that Duke is going to be very, very awful. And I okay, think okay, I, I, didn't, I didn't explain the question well enough. If a, if a magic football god said, 
you pick one game, and it's a guarantee that Louisville's going to win it. Which game would you pick? I mean, I, you got to go with Clemson. You know, Do I you? think that. Do you go with Clemson over UK? What'd you say? I said, do you go with Clemson over UK? Because they're really starting to fucking annoy me. Like, like yeah. I, I'm bored. <laughs> so here's the thing. I think that the UK stuff, to me, and part of this is because I don't really rivalry much, but I don't think UK is going to bounce back to that one major season they had. So I think they're, they're you know, I think it becomes one of those things where it's like, yeah, you, they might, you know, say they beat UK this year. UK might win three games, so it's not really as good of a win, I think. It becomes more about the bragging rights, which I don't know. I can't, I can't get into the UK stuff because it's so corny to me. Like the Vince Morrow stuff is so ridiculously oh stupid that I can't, I can't get with it. I'm like, this guy talks like a, like a pro wrestler. Like it's, that's weird to me. Like I don't, I don't understand it. So I guess that's where for me, I, I just kind of, I've, I've tuned it out so much now because it's, it's, it's weird. Like not comically funny, not it is flat out weird and creepy. How every time the guy speaks, the entire local UK media just laps it up into this weird thing, and I'm like, this is just not normal. I I, mean, I, I have literally, and I'm not saying this. This is not like a hyperbolic podcast jokey thing. I have had to look up UK's record from last season twice when yes. I've seen like these days where I'm like, am, am I? Forgetting what happened last year, they won four <laughs> regular season games. Like they weren't good. Like I, they beat a bad NC State team in a meaningless bowl game that I had forgotten about until I looked up their season from last year. Like I'm Wikipediaing Kentucky football to make sure that I'm not just on way too many drugs right now. That I'm, I'm forgetting what's happened the last few years. I just I don't I don't understand. And then like the Kentucky fans who are like in my mentions talking about like I hope Satterfield stays forever because we're giving him that work. Like you played him one fucking. <laughs> one game i just i don't understand and it's maybe it's annoying me more than it should because clemson should obviously be the the easy pick to this question they're you know at the top of the the sport or, or right below alabama at the top of the sport if you want to to you know split hairs but kentucky is just like i just they are everything about their program right now is annoying me and and because it makes no sense like the whole we're right behind alabama and ohio state and you know, we're getting ready to to win the SEC East. I just I I, I don't get it. But what are you going to do? And the weird thing about Kentucky fandom that I think is different from Louisville fandom, like we'll go in with expectations. And if, if expectations aren't met, we'll get upset and we'll recalibrate and we'll go into the year afterwards a little bit different. They do this shit every year. And then when <laughs> when they shit the bed, it's like, well, of course it happened. Like, whatever. We're Kentucky football. And then they just move on as if the offseason didn't happen. And I yeah. just it, – it's like uh, some sort of a, a eternal sunshine of the spotless mind shit. I just – I don't get it, but it's annoying. Like, that's – I'm, I'm willing to admit that it annoys me. It's the power of recruiting and how recruiting is such a big thing, especially in the offseason – because and that's why they 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 get they get so hyped over Vince Morrow being this cartoonish character is that now they've gotten to the point where they're recruiting at a at a at a good level, you know, and they're getting these kids that are highly ranked. They're they're maybe beating out some good teams, and that stuff all matters. And I'm not saying it doesn't, but they take that as some kind of win, like as opposed to an actual win on the field. And it's it's very weird to me because yeah that stuff's cool and it's fun and it's exciting, but 
but it's not something you actually brag about. At least I don't I don't get that. And, and like I said, maybe it's because I'm so focused on the fact that, yeah, the top teams in the country all recruit at the top level, and those teams are so far away from everyone else recruiting-wise that even when you get the good players, it's like, yeah, this is cool and exciting, but you don't go beating your chest over it. Like, yeah, we got to force our kid, and it's like, yeah, there's other schools that are just – a couple years ago, Alabama had nothing but five stars. Like, they're just – you know, like, it's like, yeah, yeah they – I don't know. That just stuff is just so weird to me, but it's really, I think that's what drives it. And that's why they get so hyped over Vince Morrow on this creepy, weird childish shit that he does because it's all about recruiting because that's, that's where they're winning right now, I guess. I'm just so sick of the, like, you guys haven't beat us since Lamar left or the, like posting the combined scores of the last two games. I'm like, Motherfucker, in 2018, we started 2-2 Atwell at quarterback. Like, Vince Tyree was basically the coach of that team. Like, I, 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 our five-month-old athletic director was coaching the football team at that point in time. Like, we had – you're lucky we even, like, played the game, like, finished the game. 2019, I'll give you. Like, like, Lynn Bowden just did whatever he wanted to. That was embarrassing. That was bad. And then we didn't play last year. So, like, this whole – like, this whole we're dominating the rivalry thing – is not backed up by any sort of facts unless you quite literally are just talking about the last two games. But again, it shouldn't bother me as much as it does, but this <laughs> offseason has just been, it, it's been annoying. But it, beating Clemson would be cool, but I'm just kind of, I mean. I, <laughs> I, I, love, got, I love just how much it is bothering you, though. It, it does. I mean, I, I think also I have like Clemson annoyance fatigue at this point. Like I'm just kind of, I'm sure it'll kick back into high gear once we get into the season, but the, I've done too many storm in the field jokes. Like I've just, I, I've, I've kicked my own bit into the ground and I can't unearth it at this point. And now UK is just annoying me a little bit more. So I'd probably pick Kentucky, even though it's really dumb, but I just, I would really like to win that game. this year. But that's me. Uh, let's see. I don't think we have anything else really big to hit on here as far as the football program is concerned. Uh, anything that you feel like we didn't touch on that you'd like to discuss? Um, not much. I mean, we got recruiting its back open. So, I mean, that's going to be really good, really, really, you know, really interesting to see how these next few weeks go. It's a couple really big recruiting weekends. Uh, Louisville's got uh, Caleb Johnson and Papa Williams here next weekend on their biggest recruiting weekend as a from a number standpoint. So having those guys in to hopefully recruit, uh, help recruit the guys they have is going to be good. Uh, Trey Donaldson's a kid that will be in a, a big-time four-star safety who is also uh, looking to play basketball. So Chris Mack, it's a it's a hybrid official visit for him, I guess, where he's doing football and basketball on the same visit. Uh, so he has the potential to be a point guard for the basketball team as well as a free safety or a strong safety for uh, for the football team. And then the week after that, they have their what I call the uh, the the big time players that are very unlikely to to land. Uh, Christian Miller is a four star defensive tackle from Georgia. Stone Blayton, who is a middle linebacker from uh, from Mississippi, he's got he's in the same position. He, he's a baseball player, so he's committed to Mississippi State baseball, but he is taking visits as a football player elsewhere. So there's a potential there for him to be able to play football and baseball here at Louisville. So those are two. Those are actually the things I kind of weirdly that I've been stressing that Louisville should try to look into from a athletic standpoint is these kids who want to play multiple sports, especially baseball and football. Uh, you look at the SEC, and that happens a lot. I think Ole Miss has like three guys that play both football and baseball. Uh, so I think that you know I'm glad they're looking into that stuff and kind of working that out between the coaches now that you have guys that are settled in because they're 
talented kids out there that end up playing at different places because they're 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 allowed to play both sports. So, um, so they they have a couple guys that are pretty high on their list coming in over the next three weeks, and hopefully they can land a few of them. Uh, so that's kind of the big thing right now with football, and we know this time of year. I mean, this is where they're a little late, but they tend to get on a roll once they start recruiting and start landing kids. They tend to start getting them back to back to back. So there is that potential now to have the official visits and, and seeing if they start landing some of these kids over the next, uh, next month or so. All right. We've only done this one time before, but we always end the podcast with a sort of self-deprecating, mildly embarrassing story about something we've done recently. Uh, the Mike in the Mud, Dan in the Dumps. Uh, we've had win in the weeds, I think, one time before where you had said something stupid in front of your, I think, step-parents. Have you had a, uh, a win-in-the-weeds good story recently? What, what's the most dumb thing or, or silly thing that Keith Wynn has done? Or have you just been perfect? I, you know, I don't think I've had anything really dumb other oh my than God. falling asleep in a meeting and snoring so loud that everyone in the meeting stopped. <laughs> that, like, that works. <laughs> the entire meeting stopped. And <laughs> I was rehashing the story the other day. Because I was talking about an old boss that I had that would do this all the time. And it was like, it was really embarrassing when you're sitting next to him. And I'm like, dude, this is really awkward. Like, am I supposed to wake him up or do I leave him alone? <laughs> <laughs> I was in a meeting uh, recently and I'd been working just crazy hours. You know, I started a new job and I really had just been and been hitting it hard, trying to really kind of impress and all that stuff and really going over overboard. And I guess I just hadn't really been sleeping much. And I was in a meeting that didn't really have anything to do with me. And I was, I was sitting there and I quite literally woke up <laughs> to everyone staring at me and my boss being like, are you sleeping? Like, <laughs> and, I was like, and then I talked to, I talked to some of my editors like, yeah, man, you were snoring really loud. <laughs> like, shit. So that, that's probably the worst. I mean, that's, that's, that's the, I mean, that's embarrassing. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I think that works. That definitely falls under the umbrella. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's, you win. That's, that was good. Yeah. Uh, if you don't already, please follow Keith on Twitter if he hasn't blocked you, uh, at Keith <laughs> underscore win. Uh, if he has blocked you, just read his work at Card Chronicle. It's really good. You're going to enjoy it during uh, football season and also before and after. Uh, Keith, enjoyed it, man. We're going to start doing this more often now that we're gearing back towards up uh, f- towards football. We also – we never got around to doing this last summer. We did the the basketball rewinder. I think we need to do a podcast episode where we everybody collectively goes back and watches an old Louisville football game, and then you and I talk about it, uh, the funny stuff, the real stuff, the important stuff, on an episode this summer. So if you have a suggestion, let us know uh, on Twitter or with a review in, on the, the podcast app what game you want us to watch, and, and we'll make that happen at some point over the next couple of months. Uh, Keith, appreciate it, man. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, definitely. It's a great time, man. All right, more pods coming next week. And again, let us know what game you'd like us to review for the Rewinder episode of the Card Chronicle football podcast coming up this summer. Uh, Until we talk to you guys again, go Cards.